Hey guys, it's Trish from Mangtas. Don't miss great tech stories from our guests and our hosts, Jackie Nimink and Wato Delbare. Only here at Mangtas Nation. Welcome to Mangtas Nation Season 2. This season is all about tech of the future. We'll be sharing real-world experiences and featuring astounding guests to help guide you in your tech journey. Are you ready? I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. The show starts right now. Hello, everyone. This is Jackie Demeng together with Wouter Delbare and welcome to the Mangtas Nation podcast. In today's episode, we are very lucky to be joined by a stellar year-end guest all the way from New York. He is a prominent personality of fintech that helps in bridging capital, people, and ideas with a vision to make the world a better place. Listeners, without any further ado, let us all welcome Kit Tran. Hey Kit, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me guys. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. We're so glad to have you here with us again for our year and podcast. And uh, well, you have a very interesting career story from what I hear. And uh, why don't you start by telling our listeners a little bit about yourself and your story, please? Yeah, no, thank you. you. Appreciate it. You can go um, as far back as you want, Kit. <laughs> so, uh, you know, before I was born, no, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> It was you know, a rainy day. That's right. That's right. Uh, but you know, my story is is your your typical immigrant story. Uh, not as interesting as, as Walter being, you know, born in Congo, Belgium, living in Singapore. Um, but I, you know, I was born in Vietnam, and you know, my dad is Chinese, my mom's Vietnamese, and you know, during the Vietnam War. And after the war happened, we had to go into hiding because my, my, my dad assisted the Americans during the war. And so when the Americans left, you know, we had to go in hiding. And in the 80s, we had the opportunity to come to the U.S. But in order to leave Vietnam, you had to go through a, a refugee processing. So we were in the Philippine Refugee Processing Center in the uh, mid-80s. Mm-hmm. And in 1986, we got to the U.S. I was eight at the time. And, you know, I, I remember when we first got to the U.S., you know, my dad and my uncle knew the only thing they knew was, you know, hard labor. And so they walked all the way from where we were, which is Ridgewood, New York, um, near Knickerbocker, Bushwick area. So it wasn't that you know, fun and area to live, but, you know, it was great compared to where we came from. And they walked all the way to Chinatown to get a job at a restaurant. And that was, you know, that's how we started. But I, I, I do think, you know, part of it is still the luck and opportunity we have because, you know, having the opportunity to grow up in the U.S. and observing the, the work and the commitment for my parents and for my uncles, etc., instill a lot of that principle in me. And so, you know, when I turned 18, I said, that's it. I'm just going to go work and help support the family any way I can. So believe it or not, I didn't go to college. You know, I was graduate number two in my school mm-hmm. and not didn't go to college. And I just went and worked. And so I did, you know, worked at a restaurant. I, I did whatever I knew, right? The people that I was around me and, and so that's what I did. I did that for almost, almost a year. And then I, I remember One of my classmates came in and she was a bit on the snobby side, right? And gave me this look and, and it hurt, it hurt, it hurt inside. I was like in pain. I was like, wow, right? It's embarrassing in a way. But I, I think a lot of people see those moments as an opportunity to pull them back. And so for me, it was a snobby? moment. Sorry, well, it was like, you know, she looked down on me. I was like working at a Chinese restaurant. I was doing eggs. And, and so... And it was also a mental thing, but it fueled me. I was like, okay, I need to do something different, right? This is not what life is. And so I asked around. And again, right, it's, it's who you surround yourself with. I said, oh, kid, exactly. you can do really well being a bartender. I was like, 
okay so i save up did my thing got a bartending license and went to apply for a bartending job now again this is the 1990s right i'm a short asian dude right young as well i was like 19 at the time Mm-hmm. But I'm gonna be a bartender. So how do you go become a bartender? I I did the only thing I knew, and I remember my dad did. Right, walk all the way from Chinatown. So I walked everywhere. I went from all the way downtown Soho to all the way Upper West Side. Walked different direction every day. I knocked door to door, restaurant to restaurant, for about thirty days. And I really remember, um, I, I walked into the Four Seasons restaurant. This is the one in the Seagrams Building. At um, near Lexington and, and 53rd mm-hmm. Street, 52nd, 53rd Street, right? And so, this was like fancy. There's a, there's a there's a pool. There's a pool inside the restaurant. Like this is like the restaurant. Whoa. And I went in and I did my pitch, and they hired me on the spot. I was the youngest bartender they ever hired. Now in the, in New York, U.S., you could bartend after 18, but you can't drink till you're 21. And so, and I had the opportunity to make like. You know, make Tyson a drink, you know, ex-governor Cuomo a drink. I met mm-hmm. Jennifer Aniston. I met a lot of famous people. And that, that was, you know, that was a great experience. And I learned so much from that. And and at that time, you know, because everyone go there to do business, right? All these, like, Wall Street tycoons been there. Mm-hmm. So I'm hearing stuff. I'm learning stuff. And I, I remember there was this super, super wealthy individual that comes in for lunch every day. You know, he ordered tomato soup. He order half cranberry, half orange juice drink. He'll tip me twenty dollars. I, I, like you remember that? Yeah. And he and I would talk on a regular basis every time he comes in, right? He treats me like a little kid, like 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 a son he never had. And and he asked me, you know, what I think about life. What's the, you know, what's my future? What I'm thinking. I'm like, you mean what my future? I'm making more money than I ever imagined. <laughs> this is my future. I'm living great. It's like no kid. There's more to it. And. You know, that conversation inspired me to go back to school. And I went back to school. Hey, before I, uh, we go to school, uh, uh, yeah. have, uh, did, you, did you watch the movie Cocktail from Tom Cruise? Cocktail. I did. Yeah, did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Is that exactly. what you did? I'm just, I'm just trying to visualize. Are you formal and serving formally or are you doing the, the magic? Well, <laughs> well, well, what's interesting, so, so the, 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 the leading bartender, his name is Bob, and God bless Bob. He's... Uh, I was like, kid, we're not a candy store. You don't make these weird <laughs> shots, right? You got to know your cognac. You got to know your armyac. You got to know your wine. You got to know your ports. And I learned a lot on the, you know, the proper way to drink certain things, etc. Um, but if you ask me to make a cocktail now, I don't think I can anymore. <laughs> a long time ago. Anyway, sorry to interrupt. Please proceed. No, no, no worries at all. But, but then, you know, I went back to college and then... Um, I started uh, college at NYU. Only applied for one school, and that was it, NYU. And then I, I, you know, I got in. And you know, at that time, I didn't know. I didn't had a lot of money, right? I spent the money that I save and invest, right, to 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 spend in school. Uh, and I realized, wow, that was a lot of money. And and one of the professor that was teaching the economics class I was at also taught at Hunter College. Hunter College is like a lo- local city college mm-hmm. where it's like one-fifth or one-tenth the price of NYU. I'm like, wait a minute. So you mean I could have just went to Hunter and get you and pay one-fifth or one-tenth the price? <laughs> what is this? And so I, I transferred to NYU and I went to a school called Binghamton University. I call Binghamton the Harvard of all SUNYs. It's a state school, but it's an amazing school. And so I went there and majored in economics and finance and got my first job at BlackRock after that and the rest is you know is where we are today wow amazing and 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 before we maybe go into your career itself um you went from working in a restaurant to bartending to then studying finance and economics? Did I get that right? Why, why that course? Why finance and economics? Why did you select that of all the options you had? That's a good question. So I forgot to mention, I went to the high school for environmental studies. I was actually the first graduate in class. It was a, it was a program that a group of individuals put together to really try to advance 
understanding and knowledge of inner city kids around saving the environment, uh, the importance of environmental studies. And so I did, you know, water testing at the Hudson River. Um, you know, we, we did studies around various forests in the world. I was in Alaska studying humpback whales uh, for the school. Mm. And that was a great experience. And, you know, I, I still have that in me. And by the way, that's why, you know, I, I actually didn't get a car. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't get a driver's license until I was 30. Because I made a commitment I would not drive till I was 30. And I, I kept that commitment, mm -hmm. actually. I didn't get my license till I was 30. Uh, try, trying, to, trying to, you know, get a girlfriend and do all the rest without a car in New York. That was tough, but hey, I managed it. You had uh, good shoes. Yeah, Daniel, your excuse has to be the environment. <laughs> sure, yeah. <laughs> That's right. Uh, but but the, the experience I went through with, you know, working in a restaurant, bartending, and then being at the Four Seasons and being exposed to finance and capital markets, like I find that pretty fascinating and one of the things that I learned you know people say hey if you want to help others you need to help yourself first get yourself to a great place and then you can help everyone else around you and one of the things I realized is everything that happens around the world happens because of finance think of finance as water it flows through everything else and if finance is used in the right way it will have its powers to help fix a lot of challenges if deployed properly and so for me that was quite inspiring and so i was like you know what this is it this is what i want to focus on it's 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 very interesting how a lot of career choices are made before we're actually capable of making them <laughs> right you choose like me choosing it for instance you choosing finance uh, it's it's it changes your whole trajectory right um, so you went to BlackRock from there. Tell us more. Yeah, so I, you know, I, I joined BlackRock uh, January 2001. And, you know, that's when BlackRock just started building out and launching their BlackRock solutions. So I was part of a team to build out solutions for insurance companies. And so we, we had a statutory accounting service where we provide statutory accounting on behalf of insurance companies. Uh, I was part of the team to help really build, create some of the processes. Uh, I learned so much from it. It was crazy. And, and I keep telling stories to people. My first day on the job at BlackRock, it was midnight. And I got a phone call from my mom. She's like, where on earth are you? It's your first day on the job. And then there's a voice behind me saying, Kit, who is that? And then my mom's like, who is that? I'm like, mom, that's my boss. I'm still at work. I got to go. <laughs> right? Uh, <laughs> that first week, I pulled an all-nighter. And did you tell your boss that it was your mom? Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I did. I did. I did. And it was, it was quite the experience. You know, coming out of college and being your first job when you're averaging 90, 100 hour a week, I don't think any other job can beat that. But it was great because I learned so much from it. Um, it helped build a lot of discipline. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in early 2003, uh, so a little over two years after you know, joining BlackRock, I decided to leave and start my own business. And it was it was two things I was trying to do. One is, you know, this, this before it was all these like health drinks, all these like amazing health drinks. I was trying to import a uh, tomato juice drink and then a fruit drink from Asia <laughs> into the country. Uh, it was from Taiwan, a company in Taiwan. And then uh, I also have a, a thesis around the automotive market in China, right? This is all three, so there wasn't a lot of cars in China. We said, well, if everyone's starting to have cars in China, right? And then there's more mechanic shops, like who's, tracking the inventory of parts. Like, how does all that work? How does the automotive aftermarket work? Where's the database for that? So, so you know, we had that idea. It was me and this other gentleman that was at BlackRock. Uh, we had this brilliant idea, but, you know, we were young, we were clueless, we know what we're doing, and we're trying to do two things at the same time, which was not a good idea, and two very different things at the same time. Um, the automotive aftermarket database idea was amazing. You know, we pitched to a company, they loved it so much. Uh, that they took it and left this 
aside, right? Uh, we didn't we didn't know anything. We didn't know NDAs. We didn't know because we were young. Right? We were yeah. clueless. Uh, so all that failed miserably. It, everything went sideways. But I enjoyed it. I was like, wow, I learned so much from this. I'm like, what else can I learn? It's like, so how about the fruit juices? What happened to that? That that didn't happen because we didn't. I mean, we got so distracted with that, we didn't hustle enough on the fruit juice. Mm -hmm. And so the supply on the other side said, well, you guys are not serious. So they end up going the other way as well. And little did we know, we were in the middle of two big trends that end up being super successful. But, you know, our the lack of understanding, our lack of focus and all that stuff, you know, really hurt us. Um, but I, I think, listen, life, things happen for a reason, right? You, you can only think positive in terms of learning. And to me, failure is, you know, first attempt at learning. Exactly. So I've learned, I move on. Totally agree. But it, it was at the time that I realized it, it's about building skill sets and really rounding out things that I lack. So in around 0304, I was not extremely good at speaking. I was not, you know, I wasn't a people person. I didn't know how to deal You're with people that well. Yet. Uh, that's right and and so I said how can I learn how to do that and I said oh, yeah. who, who who speaks really well so I said, oh, well all these financial advisors all these people that like that pitch for, they, they speak so well how can I be like them I said like, okay let's go become a financial advisor so I actually did that for a year and a half two years where you know, I knocked door to door selling insurance mutual funds stocks bonds and you know, three in a cold calls a day. That actually helped me a lot in learning, understanding human psychology, how to interact with strangers a lot better. Mm -hmm. And so in you know, Q4 of 2004, I said, right, I, I need to go back into, you know, the world I came from. But I love how you say Q4 of 2004. That's right, that's right, that's right, that's right, that's right. <laughs> Uh, now this is like the modern me, right? Q1, Q2, yeah. Q3. <laughs> in Q4 but, but, of my life. <laughs> that's right, the Q4 of my life. So, so I was like, okay, I, I need to get back to it, but I, I, I can't see myself working for a big firm. And so I said, I, I'm not sure if I'm ready to start something again. So why don't I join someone? And so I, I joined this company called Market, M-A-R-K-I-T. You know, I, I started... Uh, early 05 and I was employee number 40 and number 50 around that range and I was there for 17 plus years and no. you know we, we went public we did a merger of equal and then we closed on a merger March 1st of this year where S&P Global acquired us for $44 billion and so I left Feb 28th so I was never S&P employee nothing against S&P it was just you know, time for me to, to move on, focus on the next stage of my life. For 17 years, Kit, what made you stay there for 17 years? Like, you know, for in BlackRock, you stayed for like almost two years and then you decided to start your, your own thing. And then here in, in market, you stayed for 17 years. What yeah, no, that's a, that's a great question. The, you know, I, I constantly ask myself, you know, wherever I am is, what is the story for me going forward? If I still see a story, I want that story to play out. And one of the things I realize is there are four things I want to do with my career, right? One is I want to build a product. Like build a product, build a business, which I have many chances to do. Um, I have an opportunity to turn around a business that's underperforming because that's a great experience, which I had the chance to do. Uh, run a very sizable business, uh, which I had the chance to do at market. And then run a region, which was actually my last role, right? I ran Asia for our financial services division. And when I did all those four things, it was like a complete story for me to say, okay, now I'm ready to do the one thing I haven't done, which is start a company from scratch, right? Because I, I have the experience from 
the 40 to 50 person environment, yeah. right? I have tried to start from scratch when I was 25 and I failed miserably. And for the longest time, I wasn't sure if I was ready. You always have this moment saying, are you ready or not? Mm-hmm. And you know, you'll never be ready. That's just the reality of it. You just gotta go do it. That's right. And so, so for me, I'm at a stage where I'm a lot more established. I do have a network. I do have a better understanding of how the world works, which makes me realize how much I don't know. Right? You know it's funny. The, the more you know, the, the more, more you, you realize know. what you don't know, right? Exactly. Um, and and so for me, it was really time to pros- process the next move because you know the the the, the word market MLKIT is no longer on the door, and that was the decision for me to say, okay, now it's time to move on. And now you are building your own business kit. Is that, is that, uh, so did you take any time off? Did you travel the world? Um, so, so I guess, you know, you left. (laughs) 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 Yacht in the Bahamas. Um, Because I guess you left, I mean, as an early employee, sounds like a pretty good exit. How did you, did you take some time off at least for yourself? Yeah, so, I mean, the company was extremely kind to me. So, you know, it was an amazing story, um, an amazing exit. It was an extremely friendly um, and amicable exit. So what, you know, the the real driver for making the move originally was really around family as well. Because given COVID, I was away from the family. You know, I had a third child while I was in Singapore. You know, she had had the chance Mm -hmm. to see my parents, right? until we moved back stateside. And so for me, it was, you know, spending a lot of time with family, um, you know, spending, continue to spend a lot of time on my health. By the way, I lost 40 plus pounds in the last three years, like since COVID. No way. And one of the things for me is, and you know, I tell this to my family, everyone around me, is my number one priority is my health because without my health, I can't be me in front of all of you. And my second part is family. And then everything else in between that I can accomplish after that, I'll spend my time on. But, you know, for me, it's really about focusing on on health, spending time with family, which I spend a lot of time with, you know, my parents, my siblings, my kids, my wife, etc. And my in-laws, but I love my in-laws. They're lovely people. Um, and, and so, you know, I spend a lot of time doing that. But then I've also spent a lot of time on the things I care about. You know, things like uh, the environment, things like DEI, right? Diversity, equity, inclusion. And I think representation matters uh, because for me, it, it's interesting as well. Like every time when I go to a conference or I go to a meeting where there's a minority on the side, they look at me as the unicorn because there's a kid. Listen, in all the rooms I've gone in, like all I see is middle-aged Caucasian males. Right, and you're like the one that stand out, and like like you're representing us. Like we're proud of you. I'm like, and so, what you know, thinking back to that, I realized representation matters, and that's the reason why I launched the podcast is to really provide that sense of representation, but at the same time, you know, focus on the things they care about. So if you notice the guests I've on, whether talk about health, startup, entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. or just representation, right? That's why I launched that startup to really provide that message and that avenue. Um, but of course, knowing me, as I mentioned just now, like I need to start something because that's the reason why you know, I want to take the next stage of my journey. So I am building something at the moment. Uh, as if you saw my LinkedIn profile, it's called Stealth uh, because it is Stealth mode at the moment. But, you know, some of our team, we, we are looking to really provide solutions that doesn't exist today and really helping embrace the term data is the new oil. And how can we actually make data the new oil, which today is not quite. Um, and so more to come on that, you know, unfortunately I can't disclose anything further than that, but it's fun. You know, we've assembled. That's right. That's right. <laughs> you know, we're, we're some of that amazing team to, to really help you know, move forward that vision, and I'm quite excited. It's like a you know being a kid in a candy store again. So, 
and and you're starting completely from scratch now it's really your baby you you you're assembling an all-star cast so so uh, without mentioning names, I suppose. I mean, what are the roles that you have filled already? Yeah, so we've we have a COO, we have a head of product, we have a CCO. I mean, we we assembled an amazing team pretty fast. I think part of it is it was funny. I had I literally had a phone call with someone, and within thirty seconds of the phone call, I said, "Kit, you had me at hello. I'm gonna quit my job tomorrow." No. I was like, "Dude, I didn't even tell you what what it is yet." Uh, but it's it's just amazing on the the vote of confidence from the people you work with, right? People that you you've known for a long time to say, okay, you knock on my door. The time is now. Let's go. Let's make it happen. So fantastic. And 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 it's gonna be data centric. Getting more out of the data. Okay, we'll try to visualize so what that means. Why data? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to be a new asset class, right? That doesn't exist today, uh, the, the way to think about it. But data is so critical. You know, everyone talks about like the chat GPT and AI. And you don't realize like AI is not possible without the training data set to feed it, right? Data is the underlying core behind everything and anything we need to do. And I, I do think whether a lot of people that have the need for data, not understanding where to find it, or people that actually have valuable data sets and not know how to monetize it. And so if, if you think of data and oil, how in the world of oil you have people that go and help explore new oil assets, right? once they explore it, they go, they drill it, they send it to refineries, and then refineries, sends it to retail stores, wholesale, distribute, et cetera, down the stream. And then oil has financial assets around it. But then if you look at in the world of data, that doesn't quite exist as that level type of ecosystem. And that's something we're looking to help solve and tackle. Wow. Yeah, I see where you're going here. Interesting. Well, one stat that I, I like to refer to, which I find shocking, 90% of the world's data is produced in the last two years. And you That's can say right. that every year again. <laughs> That's right. shocking. Uh, but going back to ChatGPT, um, I introduced it to Jackie, uh, coincidentally, two days ago. Have you, have you played around with it, Kit? I, I haven't played around with it. I, I try to get a login. They won't let me get a login, apparently. Oh, really? Oh, I, we've got yeah. a login. You should try it again. We tried, uh, we tried it ourselves. Like yeah, I got it in two minutes. It is shocking, shocking. I just did a little test, right? Like, hey, can you please write me some Java code which does X, Y, Z, blah, 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 blah. Boom, it started. I, what? It didn't only interpret my words correctly, it nuanced it, it converted it into logic, into syntax, then explained it, documented it, summarized it again. Whoa. <laughs> uh, I know while well, Google is worried. Uh, you can, it's, it's very sophisticated. You should play around with it. It was, it's way more shocking than I, than I, so the hype is real. Log in. I, I think when I signed in, it says it was overloaded. So I had to do a pause. So I, I just had to follow up, but I, I think there's, there's a difference where, so, you know, Google download indexing of all the internet every day, right? And they use that to power the AI on top. ChatGPT doesn't have that database beneath it. To help it but when it does right it becomes very scary but you know going back to my point of data so if you say if you go to chat tbt and you ask chat, chat GPT about the credit default swap market you're asking about im day standards they actually get it all wrong not because the ai sucks but because there's no data to feed it to teach it so that's that's to my point where you know powerful data sets monetize or position properly on top of powerful AI, that's extremely scary, right? Uh, as a test scary. today, I don't know if it's scary or not, but as a test today, just because I'm having so much fun with the app, uh, I asked it, hey, is jaywalking legal in the US? <laughs> and it cited actual reference, like, no, no, it's, it's, actually, it's actually legal to jaywalk in most places, blah, 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 blah. And then I asked him, hey, can you send me some references, some legal, and he sent some reference, like, whoa. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> 
<laughs> so very, I mean, very cool. once these guys start downloading, indexing all the internet's data, and then put Chat TP on top, like why would you need a Google? But even now, right? Even now, it's it's worth the debate, right? Like now, you Google, yeah, yeah. it's fantastic. You have everything instantly. You have your top ten whatevers. Here, I asked after a question, I asked the the bot, like, hey, where, what are your sources? It says, no, I don't have a source. I learned this. <laughs> so it doesn't have a reference where it's coming from. Like, whoa, this is different. Uh, very, very, very cool. Very cool because we get, we're also very data centric, as you know. Uh, we help a lot of our clients with data. Um, so a very, very exciting space. And us, as well as our listeners, will be very excited to follow you up and follow up on your journey. Um, I would love to ask a couple of questions on the fintech space, if, if we can. Right. Um, so we are, I mean, this season is, is about entrepreneurs and what we call tech of the future. Um, you're clearly building something very edgy on the data side, um, but you spend also 17 plus years in the fintech space or at least in the finance space. Right. Um, where do you feel fintech is heading? What's your vision on that with your experience? Um, are banks still going to be relevant in the next 10 years? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And the reality is, you know, there was the pre-2022 rate environment where rates was practically zero, right? And so it was easier to launch a new bank, right? It was, it was easier to launch funding and capital. And so what you saw, look, 2021, there was $130 billion which is 20 plus percent of all venture funding went to fintech. And you, know, you saw that big rewind in 2022, right? Mm -hmm. You know, treasuries in you know, two, five year treasuries, et cetera, in the two plus percent. I mean, sorry, four, four plus percent. So when, when, when you're dancing around 400 plus basis point in govies and the cost of capital to now run a fintech and raise capital, it's going to be very different now. And so what you saw, look, you saw Neil Bank, you saw Buy Now, Pay Later, all those went the other way. Um, I, I, I do think the, the, the trend of fintech is still very relevant. I do think the future is really not about fintech in the approach that is taken from a B2C perspective, where you, know, you, you, you build a beautiful platform, you attract people on it, right? and you're trying to add stuff to it. I actually think it's going to change where fintech will be much more embedded, where you're embedding capabilities and you say, well, Walmart wanted to be a fintech, Apple or Apple is becoming a fintech, right? which they told everyone, where you actually bring in fintech to your audience, right? You bring your financial capabilities into your audience. So that's the, that's the B2C component. But, but when you think about the B2B component, when you think about capital markets, et cetera, believe not, I mean, Walter, you can't from capital markets, right? It is extremely outdated. Most of the tech platforms that are used inside capital markets are 20 plus years old. Like the stack is outdated. And I think that's continue to be the biggest opportunity is to automate and update a lot of that. You talk about chat TBT, you talk about the advancement technology, well, trying to go work for a bank or an asset manager, you don't see any of that because their workflow is so outdated, right? How could it still take you two, three days to settle equity trades? That does not make any sense at all in the day when, like in the modern days we are today, right? Because for the longest time, there they weren't challenged. There wasn't really anything to challenge it, and that's they're just very compliant about it. Uh, and I have very strong opinions of that space. <laughs> like I've I've seen these systems with my own eyes from the ground up, right? I've tried to cobble these things together to get somewhere. It's 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 dinosaur level. Um, it, it is. I hear exactly but, what you're saying. But having said that, I do think banks will have a role. If, if, if I was a bank and I think about what, what am I? First of all, I'm a data company when you think about this. Right? Two is I have technology capability sets around KYC, around knowing your customers. So banks can become a bank of data storage and a bank of trust. Everyone talking about decentralization because the reality is this, there's a lot of crux out there, right? You got to know who to trust when you're dealing with who and what. 
And I do think banks provide that level of trust layer. So if trust as a service is a thing, right? And if, if storing data as a data bank is a thing, then I think that's the role that banks can play in the future. So I, I do think no matter how we shape the future, there will be a role for banks, but banks do need to see where their role come in versus, you know, in the past, in terms of, you know, milking net interest margin, people are getting smart about it, right? And I still see a lot of these banks, like, wait a minute, when I'm looking at the one year treasuries and the 400 basis point plus, and your CD rates are still only one or 2%, like, this is absurd, right? You, you're just milking the everyday American that doesn't understand this, right? And that's why people don't put money, like, I don't, most of my money is not in a bank, most of my money is in a trading account. Right, and I'm laddering gubbies. Right, that that's my bank account. So, so basically, the tech companies that have most of the customers will start embedding finance in different shapes and forms, and banks will have to build trust, or else they become obsolete. That's your that's your view. Love it. <laughs> that's that's my. to FTX, we talked about it on your podcast as well. Um, it's decentralized from a tech perspective. That doesn't mean it's by default trustworthy. Um, what are your views on the decentralized world disrupting the finance space? Yeah, so the reality is FTX was centralized. Right, and that that was the issue, and it was a it was a centralized bundling of custody, card assets, executing trading, etc. All of that one. And I think, you know, when it comes to the world of crypto and blockchain in general, blockchain is an amazing technology that I think can help solve a lot for finance. Crypto is another story. You know, my personal view is ninety percent of all these things will be worthless, right? Just like what happened in the internet. But that didn't mean the internet was useless. Look, I mean, Amazon came out of the internet, eBay came out of the internet, right? There are still things that are very valid. So I, I think the, the reality is, you know, you don't see any bust with any of these decentralized exchanges, like Uniswaps or SushiSwaps or, you know, or any of these. And, and the reason why is, you know, they, in the center of them is a trust mechanism and everything else is distributed. And I think that's what in an ideal future would be, right? Where I say, hey, I need to borrow money. You have money to lend, right? Is there a mechanism in between that we can trust and help administer this and custody the mechanism for us? Like that's the ideal world. But I, I do think we're very far from getting there. And that goes along with also even work, right? You think about like a, a DAO, right? And, and being able to say, hey, you, you know what? A lot of these open source, well, that's what we talked about last time, you know, can people get paid by providing value to this open source framework? In the world of how the blockchain functions and the DAO, that could be possible, right? Which, which makes the world a lot more interesting when you think about it. A lot, a lot more interesting. And also, in a way, we were earlier we were talking about inclusivity or, or diversity. It also makes it inclusive for the people. I I think for the people who are not able to, for example, get a loan, or like if you, in the U.S. I I know or it's well known that if your credit score is quite is is bad is or your credit rating is bad then you can't it's almost not possible to get a loan anymore but with the emergence of these small fintech companies this it makes it possible it, there's some form of of hope to redeem yourself to be able to uplift uplift yourself or your status through through fintech would you agree i think there's um there's a balance and you, you see this now with auto loans where there's a lot of default i i, I do think one of my worries with all these neo banks cetera, where mm -hmm. there's no proper credit assessment and credit modeling on how they lend and and that's you know that's that's the other value of a bank right because a bank goes in and build these credit models and build a data set and a trust system to identify 
you know, what is the level threshold you can lend to someone or not. And I think that's still needed mm-hmm. in, in, in the system itself, right? Or, or else there'll be, you know, massive financial leverage, like what happened in, in 07, where anyone could just buy a house, right? And borrow Crazy. with no money down. Uh, so I think there's a balance. Even. Yeah, yeah. But I do agree with you in terms of it gives more access to more people, right? Um, but but you need to manage that with a balance with assessing credit risk, of right? And and making sure there's no over leverage in the system. Uh, unless you have these guardrails in place, it can get pretty dangerous. Messy. Yeah, I mean, every day is kind of different, but the some of the commonality is, you know, the first thing I wake up, I I do a bit of um, recalibrating the mind, right? I, I wouldn't call it meditating, but recalibrating the mind, uh, refocus, and then uh, I prep breakfast, I pack lunch for the kids, I drive the kids to school, uh, so that's how I start my day. Uh, which is of course is a great day um but every day is different you know the schedule is different um you know how i plan my day is different and what what i what i stopped doing is i stopped filling my calendar up like crazy so most of my days like my calendar is kind of empty in a way even though i know i have you know i have to be here i have to be there but i try to keep it in a way like uh, flexible schedule as much as I can um, because I you know I never know what happens at the home or etc so that's what my day's been uh, typically but as I'm you know moving towards launching in terms of us getting Exciting the team timings. up and running that's right uh, that's that that'll slowly change uh, where you know, there'll be team schedules. I actually have a team call today at uh, from 10 to 12, which I have to be on. Uh, but every day is, is, is kind of different. And, but what I want to do is I want to make sure I prioritize, you know, health and then family. And, and by the way, people think health is about having to go to the gym hour a day, etc. Believe it or not, it's not. It starts with what goes into your body, so what you eat. Uh, how you eat, the frequency you eat, those you things what matter. You eat, right? That's right. And then looking at how you sleep, you know, the frequency of your sleep, and then looks at your activities, right? How many steps you take in a day. You know, people think, hey, you have to go lift weights to be in shape. Yet, no, you don't. You can do push-ups. You can do like, you can do like basic stuff, but you just gotta be active. Stand up instead of just sitting down for one thing. That's right. That's right. That's exactly it. So. So it's a combination of, it's a mosaic of things that gets you there. And, and then what's important is your body metabolizes very differently when you're in a very stressful mode than when you're in a not as stressful mode. So it also starts with the mind. That's why the first thing I do in the morning is I calibrate the mind. And and for me, I I have a system where the first thing is I think of three things that I am super, super grateful for in my life. First thing. I'm so with you on that. Actually, the, do that too. Exactly. The second thing is, you know, three people, things that I need to give blessing to, right? Because it's a good feeling when you're blessing others, right? It's not just about yourself. And then three things I need to accomplish today that will be for me now, three things I need to accomplish today that are actually for my future, right? And and then three random people that I should reach out to. 
all that in quarter one of your day. That's right. All that in the morning of my day. And then and, and then and the last thing is 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 understanding the theme and the mindset I need to bring towards that day. And so by the time I leave the house, I have that set in my head. And so my day is quite clear. And I don't need to write anything down because mentally, like my 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 internal system is like is ready for it, you know? And that's that's helped me in a in a massive way. I've been doing this for a few years and it's 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 changed a lot of how I you know, how I live and how I do things. More zen. Fantastic. Now, uh, well, for for the listeners who are waiting for that signal to start their own business, what advice can you give to them, having been there yourself? Yeah, I, I think there's, there's a few things where the challenge has always been people wait too long. Or people t- have a tendency to jump the gun. One of the biggest mistakes I've seen as well as entrepreneurs, they burn the boat behind them and just go forward on a sea of impossibilities, but also possibilities. I think what entrepreneurs should think about is have your focus fully in your startup and go build. Right, but make sure you have proper backup in case things happen. Yeah, you know, don't don't burn your retirement future, don't burn your kids' college funds, etc. I've seen so many people doing a series of those things. I actually think it's about making sure you're building the right. I call it the money tree system for yourself, so then that empowers you. Then go focus on building the lottery ticket. You know, building a startup is like going for a big lottery ticket, using your skill sets to get there, but also solving a big problem or things you care about. But that doesn't mean by doing that, right? Your other option is, is sacrifice your finished future if that doesn't work. Like that's your only way out. And I think there's so many mentality of, hey, it's either all in or not nothing. I don't believe in that, right? And so. One of the things I've done is I build a money tree, and a money tree is not hey if you work you make money. That's not a money tree. That's when you're the tree, right? It's about building streams of cash flows to really help you as an entrepreneur not make forced decisions because you're in a pickle and you're in a you moved you pushed to a corner, right? Building financial options for you so that it allows you to actually be more focused on your startup gives you the opportunity to actually spend more time and capital than you need to go in bigger. And that to me is the thing that most entrepreneurs don't think about enough. And so that's that's one of the things where I help a lot of people understand what does it need to build proper money tree and cash flow streams. And the one thing people understand is this, this is gonna be a bit controversial, but I wanna say anyways. <laughs> so if you look at life and say, the financial market system, if I look at it just from December 1982 to December 2021, and that's all I look at, right? that close to 40-year time period, what do I see? Well, I see rates going down this way. I see inflation going down this way, being historic low. And so in return, I see stock market giving 8 to 10% return a year, right, on average. I also see every year, on average, you expect a market correction, right? Which is 10% plus or more downdrift throughout the year. And then every 3.6 years, we are promised a bear market, right? Which is down 20% plus or more, which 2022, welcome to it. Now you say, let's look at 2022, what's happening? You saw high inflation, you saw rates going the other way, going up high, right? It's like, okay, this is the start of a cycle. So what does that look like? What does the start of a cycle look like? Well, let's go backwards. Let's go back to January 1966 to that same time period, that 17 year period, right? 
to December 1982. So that's 17-year period. What we saw was this. We saw the Dow Jones Industrial Average flat. That's what we saw. We saw rates going up. We saw inflation going up. So if this is a repeat of that, Right, that's what we should expect. And so, well, what are things that outperform during that 17 year period? Believe it or not, one is actually wage inflation. So, continue to build your skill sets, uh, build creative skills. And I, I think we're, we're seeing that, right? We're seeing a mass, whether it's Fiverr, Upwork, it's giving people the opportunity to earn more with their skill sets and upskill. The second is actually cash flow businesses. Like, cash flow is king. And so in, in America, there's 2.3 million small businesses that are owned by baby boomers. And there's you like your statistics. Yeah, exactly. And there's no transition plan, right? So a lot of these baby boomers, like how do they transition? Their kids don't want to run it. How do they sell it? A lot of these small businesses are selling for like two times profit. So the cash flow you get on is amazing, right? Uh, the, the third is tripping at least commercial real estate. Right, which 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 to me that's that's interesting. And then there's you know, of course there's other stuff to, to mm-hmm. compound on, but the reality is if you think from that term and you plan your portfolio in a world of cash flow and cash flow streams and you you have that safety net around you to then allow you to go all in on your startup, I think that's a better approach than saying, I'm gonna go all in on my startup, when I fail, I'm gonna go to negative zero, okay. it's is all be none. That mentality just doesn't work for me. So, fantastic advice from years of experience in the finance sector. Now, uh, Kit, for businesses or startups who are interested in connecting with you, where can they best find you, or how can they get in touch with you? Yeah, you can uh, you know connect me with me on my LinkedIn profile. Uh, so, Kit Tran. First name, last name, you, you find me. You see that picture with me, you talk with Kit Podcast on it. Uh, so, yeah, that's the easiest way to find me from that perspective. All right. So, uh, well, thank you, Kit. And that's all for today's episode. And thank you to all of our listeners for for listening into our show today. And again, for Kit for sharing his story and wisdom with us today. And um, we definitely enjoyed our session with you. And, uh, well, once again, this is Jacqueline DeMink. And I'm Walter Govine. And stay tuned for the next episode of Mangtas Nation. Thank you for tuning in to Mangtas Nation. Mangtas, your curated marketplace for B2B outsourcing solutions. Follow our social media pages to know more about us. Sign up as a client or sign up as a vendor and be part of this global B2B marketplace. Join us at www.mangtas.com.